Story five of the Thirteen Travelers by Hugh Walpole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Story five. Peter Westcott. Westcott's astonishment when Edmund Robsart offered to lend his chambers rent free for two months was only equalled by his amazement when he discovered himself accepting that offer. Had you told him a week before that within seven days he would be sleeping in Robsart's sumptuous bed, closed in by the rich sanctities of Robsart's sumptuous flat, he would have looked at you with that cool contempt that was one of Westcott's worst features. For Westcott in those days was an arrogant man, arrogant through disgust of himself and disgust of the world, two very poor reasons for arrogance. This was the way of his accepting Robsart's offer he had been demobilized at the beginning of march and had realized with a sudden surprise that seemed only to confirm his arrogance that he had no one to go and see no work to do no place that needed him no place that he needed he took a bedroom in a dirty little street off the strand he knew that there were two men whom he should look up meredith and galleon he swore to himself that he would die before he saw either of them then in the strand he met lester a man whom he had known in his old literary days before the war twenty years ago lester had been a man of much promise and his novel to paradise had been read by everyone who wanted a short road to culture now the war had definitely dated him and he seemed to belong to the yellow book and the bodily head and all those days when names were so much more important than performance and a cover with a Beardsley drawing on it hid a multitude of amateurs. Westcott did not mind whether or no Lester were dated. He was, for the matter of that, himself dated. It was long indeed since anyone had mentioned Reuben Halyard, or the Vines, or the Stone House. It seemed many ages since he himself had thought of them. He liked Lester, and being a man who, in spite of his loneliness and arrogance, responded at once to kindliness, he accepted Lester's invitation to dinner. He dug up an old dinner jacket that was tight and unduly stretched across his broad shoulders, and went to dinner in the Cromwell Road. Days of failure and disappointment had not suited Mrs. Lester, who had always lived for excitement and good society, and found neither in the Cromwell Road. There was only one other guest besides Westcott, and that was Edmund Robsart, the most successful of all modern novelists. For many years Robsart's name had been a synonym for success. It must be, thought Westcott, looking at the man's red face and superb chest and portly stomach, at least thirty years since you published The Prime Minister's Daughter and hit the nail at the very first time. What a loathsome fellow you are! what harm you've done to literature and what a gorgeous time you must have had and the very first thing that robsart said was you don't mean to tell me that you're westcott the author of reuben halyard now you're a fool to be touched by that westcott said to himself but he was astonished nevertheless touched it seemed not so much for himself as in a kind of protective way for that poor little firstling who had been both begotten and produced in a london boarding-house and had held in his little hands so much promise so many hopes so much pride and ambition westcott was touched 
he did not resent robsart's fatherly patronizing air as of one who held always in his chubby gouty fist the golden keys to paradise he drank lester's wine and laughed at robsart's anecdotes and was sympathetic to mrs lester's complaints he peter westcott who throughout the war had been held to be cold conceited overbearing the most unpopular officer in his regiment at the end of the evening robsart asked him to come to lunch i live in duke street hortons everyone knows hortons he gave him his number tuesday one thirty glad to see you robsart cursed himself for a fool when he went back to his strand lodging what did he want with men of robsart's kidney had he not been laughing and mocking at robsart for years had he not taken robsart's success as a sign of the contemptible character of the british public when men like gallion and lester had been barely able to live by their pens and robsart rolled in money rolled in money earned by tawdry fustian sentimentality like the kings of the earth and love laughs at locksmiths nevertheless he went and brushed his old blue suit and rolled up to duke street looking as he always did like an able-bodied seaman on leave robsart's flat was very much what he had expected it to be quite sumptuous and quite lifeless there was a little dining-room off what robsart called the library this little dining-room had nothing in it save a round shining gate-legged table with a glass top to it a red persian rug that must have been priceless a rodin bust of an evil-looking old woman who stuck her tongue out and a gauguin that looked to westcott like a red apple and a banana but was in reality a native woman by the seashore in the library there were wonderful books the walls being completely covered by them most of them first are rare editions said robsart carelessly behind glass near the window were the books that he had himself written all the different editions the translations the cheap shillings and two shillings the strange swedish and norwegian and russian copies with their paperbacks the row of tauchnitz and then all the american editions with their solemn heavy bindings then there were the manuscripts of the novels all bound beautifully in red morocco and in the bottom shelf the books with all the newspaper cuttings dating as westcott to his amazement saw from eighteen eighty four thirty-five years and all this sumptuousness as a result nevertheless the books round the room looked dead 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 never touched thought peter except to show them to poor humble failures like himself half an hour's conversation was quite enough to strip peter of any illusions he may have had about robsart's natural simplicity of heart he had invited westcott there because he wanted a little praise from the younger generation needed rather than wanted was perhaps the right word westcott was hardly the ideal victim because he was over forty and an undoubted failure nevertheless at lester's he had appeared amiable and kindly a little encouragement and he would say something pleasant then robsart would have soothed that tiresome biting bitter irritation that had beset him of late born he knew not where a suggestion carried on the wind that he was behind the times that his books no longer sold that no young man or woman thought of him with anything but contempt these things had not been said directly to him 
he had not even read them in the papers there were certain critical journals that had of course since the beginning of his career given him nothing but abuse if they noticed him at all they now treated him to silence he did not expect them to alter but his sales were falling even the critics who had supported him through all weathers were complaining a little now of monotony of subject of repetition of idea damn it all what can you do but repeat after thirty books sometimes he wondered whether he would not stop and rest on his laurels but that meant a diminution of income he had always lived well and spent every penny as it came along moreover now was the worst moment to choose with the income tax at what it was and food and clothes and everything else at double its natural price as a matter of truth he had been looking forward during the last two years to after the war that was the time when he was going to start again get this war behind one and he would break out in an entirely new place begin all over again show all those young fellows that all their so-called modernity was nothing but a new trick or two for covering up the same old thing he could do it as well as they write in suspensive dots and dashes mention all the parts of the human body in full count every tick of the clock and call your book disintegration or dead moons or green queens robsart liked himself in these moods and during luncheon he amiably wandered along in this direction plucking the flowers of his wit as he went and flinging them into waistcoat's lap peter grew ever more and more silent he hated robsart that ghastly preoccupation with his own affairs the self-patting and self-applause over the little successes that he had won above all that blending of all the horror and tragedy of that great nightmare of a war to fit into the pattern of that mean self-gratifying little life these things were horrible but strangely with the ever-growing disgust of robsart and his slightly disturbed self-complacency came an evil longing in peter's breast for some of the comfort and luxury that robsart's life represented ever since that day now so many years ago when his wife had run away with his best friend he had known it seemed no peace no quiet no tranquillity it was not security that he needed but rather a pause in the battle of the spiritual elements that seemed to be forever beating at his ears and driving him staggering from post to post had it not been for the war he had often thought he must have succumbed before now final defeat at any rate meant rest he had not succumbed these years in gallipoli and france had saved him but he in those desolate death-ridden places had again and again said to himself even as robsart safe in hortons had said after the war after the war after the war peter would build up his life again but first even a month's rest somewhere that was not dirty and cheap and ill-smelling somewhere with good food and kind looks then he smiled as he thought of maradic and gallien his two friends who could both give him those things no he wanted also freedom thus to his amazement at the end of luncheon when he was feeling as though he could not bear the sound of robsart's rich self-satisfied voice a moment longer the man made his proposal 
he was going to scotland for two months would westcott like to take the flat free of rent of course it was at his disposal he need not have meals there unless he wished something in westcott's spirit had attracted robsart westcott had not given him the praise he had needed but now he seemed to have forgotten that the man who sat opposite to him with the thin face the black closely cropped hair thin above his forehead gray above the temples with the broad shoulders the hard thick-set figure the grave eyes the nervous restless fingers the man who in spite of his forty years seemed still in some strange way a boy that man had been through fire and tribulation such as robsart would never know robsart was not a bad man nor an unkindly success had been the worst thing that could have happened to his soul he put his hand on westcott's shoulder you stay here and have a rest for a bit do just as you like chuck my things about smash the rodin if it pleases you peter accepted when he moved with his few possessions into the grand place he found it less alarming than he had expected horton's itself was anything but alarming in the first place there was the nicest girl in the world fanny who was portress downstairs she made one happy at once then the valet albert or albert edward as he seemed to prefer to be called was the kind of man understood in a moment by peter they were friends in three minutes albert edward had his eye on fanny and was going to propose one of these days wouldn't they make a jolly pair once or twice the great mr nix himself the manager of the flats came in to see how peter was faring he seemed to have an exalted idea of peter because he was robsart's friend robsart was a very great man in mr nix's eyes but i'm not his friend peter said well, you must have been mr nix said for him to let you have his flat like that i've never known him to do that before in three days peter was happy in another three days he began to be strangled there were too many things in the flat beautiful things costly things little golden trifles precious china pictures worth a fortune first editions scattered about as though they were nothing too full too full too full peter couldn't sleep he pushed on all the lights and pushed them off again he got up and in his old shabby patched pajamas walked the length of the flat up and down up and down the brahmin gods in the gold temple stared at him impassively the rodin old woman leered another two days and i'm done with this place he thought then murdoch temple came to see him westcott had known temple before the war he had not seen him for five years temple had not altered there was the same slight delicate body pale discontented face jet-black hair long nervous and conceited hands shabby clothes too tight for the body and most characteristic of all a melancholy and supercilious curl to his upper lip temple was supercilious by nature and melancholy by profession from the very beginning it had seemed that he was destined to be a genius and although after fifteen years of anticipation the fulfilment of that destiny was still postponed no one could doubt least of all temple himself that the day of recognition was approaching at oxford it had seemed that there was nothing that he could not do 
in actual fact he had since then read much french and some russian in translation of course edited two little papers strangled by an unsympathetic public almost at birth produced a novel a poem and a book of criticism an unhappy chill had hung over all these things the war in whose progress poor health had forbidden him to take a very active part had made of him a pessimist and pacifist but even here a certain temperamental weakness had forbidden him to be too ardent he was peevish rather than indignant petulant rather than angry unkind rather than cruel malicious rather than unjust and undoubtedly a little sycophantic he had a brain but he had always used it for the fostering of discontent he did care with more warmth than one would have supposed possible for literature but everything in it must be new and strange and unsuccessful success was to him the most terrible of all things unless he himself were to attain it that as things now went seemed unlikely during the last two years he and his friends had been anticipating all that they were going to do after the war there was to be a new literature a new poetry a new novel a new criticism and all these were to be built up by temple and company thank god the war saved us from the old mess we were in no more robesarts and manapes for us now we can see peter had heard vague rumors of the things these young men were going to do he had not been greatly interested he was outside their generation and his own ambitions were long deadened by his own self-contempt nevertheless on this particular morning he was glad to see temple there was no question but that he made as effective a contrast with robsart as one could find temple was extremely cordial at the same time he was frankly surprised to find peter there how did you track me asked peter robsart told meredith in edinburgh meredith was writing to me how are you after all this time all right said peter smiling the conversation then was literary and temple explained how things were things were very bad he used the glories of robsart's rooms as an illustration of his purpose he waved his hands about look at these things he seemed to say at these temples of gold this china of great price these pictures and then look at me here is the contrast between true and false art we want to get rid he explained to peter of all these false valuations this wretched war has shown us at least one thing the difference between the true and the false the world is in pieces it is for us to build it up again and how are you going to do it asked peter well it seemed that temple's prospects were especially bright just then it happened that mr dibden the original inventor of dibden's blue pills was anxious to dabble in art he was ready to put quite a little of his blue pill money behind a new critical paper and the editor of this paper was to be temple of course said temple i'm not going to agree to it unless he guarantees us at least five years run a paper of the sort that i have in mind always takes some time to make its impression in five years the world at least will be able to see what we are made of i've no fears peter who was more ingenuous than he knew was caught by the rather wistful eagerness in temple's voice this fellow really cares he thought 
we want you to come in with us said temple of course we shall have nothing to do with fellows like d and w and m men who simply made successes by rotten work no but i flatter myself that there will be no one of our generation of any merit who won't join us you must be one i'm too old said peter for your young lot too old cried temple rot of course it's a long time since the vineo but all the better you'll be the fresher for the pause not like m and w who turn out novels twice a year as though they were sausages besides you've been in the war you've seen at first hand what it is none of these ghastly high spirits about you you'll have the right pessimistic outlook i don't know that i shall said peter laughing oh yes you will said temple confidently i'm delighted you'll join us and i'll be able to pay well too old dibden's ready to stump up any amount that's a good thing said peter he remembered that temple had not with the best wish in the world been always able in the past to fulfil all his promises in short peter was touched and even excited it was so long since any one had come to him or wanted him then temple had caught him at the right moment he was out of a job robsart's flat was suffocating him he himself was feeling something of this new air that was blowing through the world he wondered whether after all it might not be that temple and his friends would be given the power they had youth energy a freedom from tradition he promised temple that he would come to tea next day and see some of his friends the papers to be called the blue moon said temple tomorrow then at five peter found himself at five next day in a small room off chancery lane temple met him at the door greeted him with that rather eager and timid air that was especially his introduced him to a young man on a green sofa and left him peter was rather amused at his own excitement he looked about him with eagerness here at any rate was a fine contrast to robsart no gold gods and precious rodins in this place the room was bare to shabbiness the only picture on the ugly wallpaper was a copy of some post-impressionist picture stuck on to the paper with a pen it was a warm spring day and the room was very close some half a dozen men and two girls were present very much bad tobacco was being smoked somewhere near the untidy fireplace was a table with tea on it perhaps thought peter these are the men who will make the new world at any rate no false prosperity here these men mean what they say looking about him the first thing that he discovered was a strange family likeness that there seemed to be amongst the men they all wore old shabby ill-fitting clothes no hair was brushed no collars were clean all boots were dusty that's all right thought peter there's no time to waste thinking about clothes these days all the same he did like cleanliness and what distressed him was that all the young men looked unwell one of them indeed was fat but it was an unhealthy stoutness pale blotchy pimpled complexions were sallow bodies undeveloped and uncared for it was not that they looked ill-fed simply that they seemed to have been living in close atmospheres and taking no exercise listening then to the talk he discovered that the tone of the voices was strangely the same it was as though one man were speaking as though the different bodies were vehicles for the same voice 
the high querulous faint scornful voice ran on it seemed as though did it cease the room might cease with it the room the sofa the wallpaper the tea-table cease with it and vanish one of the pale young men was on the sofa stroking a tiny ragged moustache with his rather dirty fingers he raised sad heavy eyes to peter's face then with a kind of spiritual shudder as though he did not like what he had seen there dropped them it's rather close in here isn't it said peter at last eh, maybe said the young man one of the young women directed apparently by temple came over to peter she sat down on the sofa and began eagerly to talk to him she said how glad she was that he was going to join them although she spoke eagerly her voice was tired with a kind of angry defiant ring to it she spoke so rapidly that peter had difficulty in following her he asked her who the men in the room were well that's summers she said pointing to the stout man hackett summers of course you know his work i've got his new poem here like to see it we shall have it in the first number of the blue moon she handed peter a page of typed manuscript he read it eagerly here then was the new literature it was apparently a poem it was headed wild west remittance man the first three verses were as follows shlemiel no mother weep foredoomed for a certain time rye whiskey a fungus works into each face line the bond street exterior tears at his vitals gravely the whisker droops his eyes are cold immaculate meteor inside a thick ichocide a thick ether quenched the bright music peter read these three verses then a second time then a third the young woman was talking fiercely as he read she turned to him aren't they splendid she said hackett at his best i was a little doubtful of him but now there's no question frankly said peter i don't understand them it's about a drunkard isn't it i see that but don't understand it cried the young woman what don't you understand well for instance said peter immaculate meteor is that the world or bond street or the whiskey he felt her contempt she laughed well of course hackett's poems aren't for everybody she said she got up then and left him he knew the report that she would make of him to temple he sat there bewildered he began to feel lonely and a little angry after all it was not his fault that he had not understood the poem or was it the heat of the room he wished that someone would offer him some tea but everyone was talking 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 he sat back and listened the talk eddied about him dazing him retreating rolling back again he listened every kind of topic was there men women the war germany poetry homosexuality divorce adultery walt whitman sappho names strange names american names french names russian names condemning him condemning her condemning it the war man woman once and again he caught popular names how they were condemned the scorn the languid insolent scorn then pacifism he gathered that two of the men in the room had been forced to dig potatoes for the government because they didn't believe in war patriotism the room quivered with scorn patriots 
it was as though you had said murderers or adulterers his anger grew robsart was better than this far far better at least robsart tried to make something out of life he was not ashamed to be happy he did not condemn he was doubtful about himself too he would not have asked peter to lunch had he not been doubtful and the arrogance here the room was thick with it the self-applause mounted higher and higher the fat man read one of his poems only a few words reached peter buttock blood cobra loins mud shrill bovine suddenly he felt as though in another moment he would rush into their midst striking them apart crying out against them as condemnatory as arrogant as they he got from his sofa and crept from the room no one noticed him in the street the beautiful cool evening air could not comfort him he was wretched lonely angry above all most bitterly disappointed it seemed to him as he walked along slowly up fleet street that life was really hopeless and useless on the one side robsart on the other these arrogant fools and in the middle himself no better than they worse indeed for they at least stood for something and he for nothing absolutely nothing that absurd poem had at any rate effort behind it striving ambition hope he had cared all his life for intellectual things had longed to achieve some form of beauty however tiny however insignificant he had achieved nothing well that knowledge would not have beaten him down had he felt the true spirit of greatness in these others he realized now how deeply he had hoped from that meeting he had believed in the new world of which they were all talking he had believed that its creation would be brought about by the forces of art of brotherhood of kindliness and charity and nobility and then to go and listen to a meeting like temples but what right had he to judge them or robsart or anyone only too ready to believe himself a failure it seemed now that the world too was a failure that the worst things that the pessimist had said during the war were now justified above all he detested his own arrogance in judging these other men he had come by now to piccadilly circus he was held by the crowd for a moment on the curb outside swan and edgar's the circus was wrapped in a pale honey-coloured evening glow the stir of the movement of the traffic was dimmed as though it came through a half-open door peter felt calm touch his bitter unhappiness as he stood there he stayed as though someone had a hand on his shoulder and was holding him there he was conscious for the second time that day of anticipation now having been cheated once he tried to drive it away but it would not leave him and he waited almost as though he were expecting some procession to pass the shops were closing and many people were going home as he stood there big ben struck six o'clock and was echoed from st james's and st martin's people were coming in prepared for an evening's amusement the last shoppers were waiting for the omnibuses to take them up regent street opposite peter there were the criterion posters our mr heppelwhite 
and opposite mr helplewhite mademoiselle delizia was swinging her name in mid-air to entice the world into the pavilion every kind of shop crowded there around the circus barbers and watchmakers and bagmakers and hosiers and jewellers and tobacconists and restaurants and tea-shops there they all were and the omnibuses like lumbering mastodons or ichthyosauri came tottering and tumbling into the centre finding their heavy thick-headed way out again as though they were blinded by this dazzling lighted world he was struck as he watched by the caution the hesitation the apparent helplessness of all the world londoners had always been represented as so self-confident self-assured but if you watched to-night it seemed that every one hesitated young men with their girls women with babies men boys again and again peter saw in faces that same half-timid half-friendly glance felt on every side of him a kindliness that was born of a little terror a little dread there was some parallel to the scene in his mind he could not catch it his mind strove back suddenly with the big form of a policeman who stepped in front of him to control the traffic he knew of what it was that he was thinking years ago when he had first come up to london he had lived in a boarding-house and there had been there a large family of children with whom he had been very friendly the parents of the children had been poor but their single living-room had been a nursery of a happy discordant kind every sort of toy had found its way in there and peter could see the half-dozen children now trembling now fighting laughing crying the mother watching them and guarding them the circus was a nursery the blue evening sky was closed down a radiant roof everywhere were the toys now it seemed that balls were danced in the air now that someone sang or rang bells now that some new game was suddenly proposed and greeted with a shout of joy the children filled the circus the policemen were toy policemen the omnibuses toy omnibuses the theatres toy theatres on every side of him peter felt the kindliness the helplessness the pathos of his vision they were children he was a child the world was only a nursery after all the sense of his earlier indignation had left him it seemed now that anger and condemnation whether of robsart or temple and his friends or of himself were absurd they were all children together children in their ignorance their helplessness children in their love for one another their generosity and their hope for the first time in his life that sense of disappointment that had been for so long a stumbling-block to all his effort left him he felt as though like pilgrim he had suddenly dropped his pack children in the nursery the lot of them no place in this world for high indignation for bitterness for denunciation the injustice the ill-humour the passion of life were like the quarrels in children's play the wisest man alive knew just as much as his nursery walls could show him he laughed and turned homewards the new world perhaps the progress of the world perhaps meanwhile there were nursery tea a game of pirates and a fairy tale by the fire and after it all that sound dreamless sleep that only children know 
would one wake in the morning and find that one was leaving the nursery for school who could tell no one returned with any story meanwhile there was enough to do to help in keeping the nursery in order in seeing that the weaker babies were not trodden upon in making sure that no one cried himself to sleep anger and condemnation would never be possible again no nor would he expect the millennium and a story five